there are people up there behind you, okay? Hey, um, I'm really excited today because I want to introduce you to Nolan Jaden. And Nolan Jaden is a young man who actually grew up in the youth group here at Mountain View. Don't clap for him yet, all right? We don't want it to go to his head or anything, all right? So in a moment, I'll ask you to clap for him. But anyway, he grew up in the youth group here, and I invited him to come and share with us today. And so I'm just going to ask you to prepare your heart and your mind to hear the message that God's prepared on his heart to give to us. And so now, Mountain View, will you give Nolan a nice, warm Mountain View welcome? There you go. My guy. Today, I want to talk to you guys about contagious Christianity. Can I get you guys to play along and say contagious? My great-grandfather was an, a man named Pierre Sechuan, and if you can't tell by his name, he was a French guy who lived in France in 1940 when the Nazis invaded. And my grandmother, his daughter, tells the story of how he looked out his window and saw the Nazis committing atrocities against men and women and said this, not in my town. And he joined an underground army and began to fight the Nazis in the streets. He got captured doing this and found himself in a Nazi prison, essentially on death row. But my great-grandfather was a sneaky little French devil, and he found a way of escaping from this Nazi prison. And you know what he did with his freedom when he got out? He rejoined the underground army only to be captured again, thrown in prison again, escape again, and then do what? Rejoin the underground army. Now, if you're catching on, he joined that army three distinct times and was captured twice. And so you must be thinking that my great-grandfather was either completely insane or totally caught up in the mission. And listen to me today. Christianity will become contagious when you and I are completely caught up in the mission. We need to be caught up in the mission of Jesus today. And here's the reality. When you see someone who is totally caught up in it, when there's someone who's caught up in the mission, a man or a woman, there's something magnetic about that. There is something inspiring, something that draws you in. And today, you need to know that we, as Jesus followers, if you are one, Jesus' mission gives us a reason to die in a world that lacks a reason to live. And so I hope that you are caught up in the mission. And there are some of us here, you're here today and you got drugged to church. You're like not a Christian and you're like, hey, I'm just checking things out. And we're so glad that you're here. We're pumped that you have uh, joined us this morning. Very, very, very thankful for you. But here's the deal. This is for you too. This mission of Jesus is beckoning you as well. And here's the reality. You need a higher calling for your life. You long deep down in your heart, in your soul, to be part of a mission that is bigger than yourself. In fact, um, around the time that Pierre, my great-grandfather, was getting thrown into prison in these Nazi uh, uh, prisons, there was another man named Viktor Frankl, who was uh, the doctor. He was a psychologist, okay? And he got captured by the Nazis, put in a Nazi concentration camp, and approached his own suffering and the suffering of others from a very unique perspective, that of a scientist, right? So he's analyzing how uh, different people went through this suffering. And what he discovered was those who had a higher calling— those who live for a higher purpose, such as believing Jews or Christians, 
tended to suffer and endure with a distinct poise and dignity, and oftentimes survived their time in concentration camps. But those who live for ephemeral things, things that are fleeting, passing away, temporary, such as pleasure, money, or circumstantial happiness, man, those people often wilted and died under the pressure. And so look at me today. You need your body, your soul, you need a higher mission for your life. And Jesus' mission gives us a reason to die in a world that lacks a reason to live. But my ideas are not what's important here today. We actually need to find this in the powerful Word of God. And so would you open your Bibles with me and look at Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. What we find in the Word of God is our mission. And what we're going to see is two things. Number one, we are going to see that our mission is to experience the love of Jesus And number two, we are going to see our mission is to extend the love of Jesus. And we're going to work backwards through these. So let's look at the text beginning in verse 16. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the first thing we see in this passage is, number one, we are called, the mission we are called to is to extend the love of Jesus. What's happening here? Jesus calls his disciples to himself to meet him on a mountain. This is after his death on the cross and his resurrection. And now he's calling as resurrected Jesus, his disciples to gather around. And there are five different times in the book of Matthew that Jesus calls his disciples to meet him on a mountain to reveal something important to them. And this is the last of those five mountaintop experiences. And here's Jesus. He brings them in and you wonder man is this it this is the end of the gospel story of Matthew and so if there's ever a time where Jesus would say look we are done we're done with the outside world let's huddle up here take out an acoustic guitar and let's just enjoy the group the holy huddle that we have it would be this one If there's ever a time where we say, we're done with the world, let's just wait for the rapture and let's get out of here, we're done. And so let's huddle up and enjoy our holy huddle, it would be this. But he doesn't. What does he say in verse 19? Go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He essentially says, I have brought you here to boot you out. I have brought you in to send you out to extend the love of Jesus everywhere. He says, go flip the world upside down. And this is quite the mission, and you need to hear this, that Jesus could have said, let's huddle up, but he does not want the holy huddle. Instead, what he does is he shows that his heart is for the outsiders. Jesus is the God who loves outsiders. In fact, I got a taste of this. Um, I, I, I don't know if you know my story, but I grew up here in Gresham, and I was not a super, super churchy kid. And I can actually specifically recall being in this garage with some of my dumb druggy friends in a uh, room that was filled with smoke all around me. But like inwardly, I felt this emptiness 
within. And, and I remember it was around this time that I actually got drugged to church. And I don't know if you've been drugged to church before, like what that experience is like. Um, I entered actually here at Mountain View into the FLC for youth group. And I think this was right around the time that Tom became the youth pastor. Um, and I was looking at everything and thinking, man, this is like a strange experience. Like, what is this? I'm like nervous. I'm like, oh, why are people singing to Jesus? Is this a cult? Holy moly. Like, and then, you know, they're talking about the glory of Jesus up front. And I'm thinking about this and I'm like feeling comfortable. Like, when do I get out of here? Like, what time? And, and I remember it, this distinct moment where everything stopped and something clicked in my heart. And all of a sudden, where one minute ago I had no desire for Jesus, I all of a sudden had an affection for Jesus I couldn't describe. And, and I just kept feeling like, man, like, what is this? I, I want this. I want this. And I heard in a still, small voice in my heart, I have always known you. And I felt pulled towards Jesus. I was like, I don't even understand what this is all about, but like, whatever this is, I want this. Like, can I get a Bible? Can I start to learn about this? And I felt the warmth and the love of a Jesus who has a heart for outsiders like me. Because Jesus has a heart for outsiders. And listen, we need to realize this and join the God who is sent and is sending. We need to understand a theology. If you, got, if you hang around uh, Mountain View long enough, meet some of the leaders, meet Tom, you probably know the term theology. But what theology is, is it's understanding who God is. This idea of being sent, that Jesus uh, calls us from his resurrection to his return on his mission, is an idea that is embedded and buried in the person and the nature of God because Jesus was sent. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And the Father sent the Son to earth to live as one of us in flesh and blood. Why? To pursue outsiders, to reach the lost, to love those who are far off and to bring them in. And so Jesus is a sent God and he is also a sending God. In a related passage to Matthew 28 where we're studying here where he says go, he says something similar. He says in John 20 verse 21, Jesus said to them, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is a theology of mission. Why do I say mission? Because the word there in John 20, 20 for sent, when the original Greek of the Bible, um, you know, the, the Christian movement was exploding and they started to translate it into Latin, the word in Latin is something like missio or missus, which is the root word for what? Mission. It, this is where we get our idea of the mission of God, the missio day. And so we need a theology. We need to understand that our God is a sent God and a sending God, that we are on his mission. Here's the struggle, though, that most of us tend to think that, man, Yes, God is on a mission. Yes, God sends church leaders. Yes, but that's for the professional class. That's for like Pastor Tom and Pastor Craig and Pastor Christian. Like, of course God's on a mission and of course he sends people. He sends them. But me, you're thinking like, man, I, I can barely like tell you what the gospel is. Like, I have my own struggles. Like, I'm not on mission. Like, what do you mean? And we feel nervous about the concept of like, man, maybe I'm going to reach people. Like, how does this actually work? Because you're like, I have my own doubts. How can I share the gospel with anybody else? How can I invite someone else to church when I'm struggling with things? But here's what we need to see in the passage. That Jesus collects two kinds of disciples to himself, doesn't he? 
In fact, there's this strange thing that happens in the passage that I find, like, I've always found really interesting since I uh, started reading the Bible and started reading this passage. Look with me at verse 17. We notice it. It says, and when they saw him, there's some disciples, they did what? They worshipped him. That makes sense. We're like, yes, of course. Like, he, he died. He rose. He's got holes in his hand. This is the resurrected Jesus. They're saying, we saw you dead. We saw the tomb. Holy smokes. Like, they fall down. They're like, oh, of course we're going to worship you, right? That just makes sense. But then there's this curious thing Matthew tells us. And I've always wondered, why did he include this? What's the next word say? But some doubted. Hold up. Jesus calls to himself those who get it. Those who are mature in the faith. Those who have experienced victory. Those who worship him on a regular basis. And he sends them on mission, of course. But he also calls the doubters. He also calls those of us who struggle. Those of us who are imperfect. Those of us who, who are, man, like we're still wrestling with sin. And we still have our questions. Jesus sends them too. He sends both the mature and the immature. There is no distinction. Listen to me. If you are a Christian in here, you are sent on mission. We are all sent on mission. In fact, I think about this all the time because sometimes I'll come here to Mountain View. You know, I'll visit Tom, say what's up, say hi to, you know, Christian or Zach. And, and as I come through, every once in a while, I'll bump into some of my old youth leaders here at Mountain View. All right, and, and some of you are here and you know who you are. And uh, what they invariably say is like, Hey, I remember you. It's so good to see you, Nolan. What's up? I'm, man, I'm so grateful God's doing your life. And then they say, but you know what? I need to tell you, you were a real struggle when you were in high school, man. Like, it was rough being around you. Like, you brought all these naughty kids to church. Like, you were just constantly sinning and getting in trouble. Like, man, it was a struggle back in the day. But we're so glad that the Lord redeems and he's done a great work in your life. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray right now, actually. Like, Lord, just keep him where he's at because we remember a time. You know, like... This is, this is the reality that God loves outsiders. And so, but, but here's the deal. When I was first saved, like I, was, I had all my baggage and all my problems, but even I got to be sent on mission too. Even I, I would take kids and, and we would get 12, 11 kids, stuff them in my dad's Astro van with like no seatbelts, totally illegal. I should have been arrested. We'd drive them to youth group. And I was sent on mission too because here's the reality. God does not send the worthy. He sends the willing. Are you willing to be on mission? Are you willing to be sent? He doesn't send the worthy. He sends the willing. You can enjoy, man, the joy of extending the love of Jesus to others too, no matter who you are. And I don't want you to miss out on that joy. Man, I don't want you to miss out on that joy. Um, the other, uh, a couple weeks ago now, I was speaking at Trout Creek Bible Camp. There's like four or five hundred students, really exciting. And I'm like this Baptist-y kind of preacher. And I get up there and I'm just like, I love at the very end. I don't even care if I made sense during the sermon. But I'm like, everybody bow your heads. Bow your heads, students. And I'm like, listen up. You need to accept Jesus today. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to raise our hands. If you were, you were not a Christian, like you walked in here, you were sinning on your way in, you know. And like, but you want to accept Jesus now. Like the Lord is moving your heart. I want you to raise your hands. Raise your hand all across the room and I see like 50 60 students raise their hand I'm like like this is the miracle of God and I'm like this is awesome and yet there's this other part of me that's just logical and I'm like but I wonder how many of those salvations are actually real salvation you know what I'm saying like because you know students and like I'm watching a whole row fall asleep just and then you know the buddy raises his hand he gets saved and the whole row's like what are we supposed to raise our hands you know like they're getting in trouble I'm like I don't know like is this real 
And so the, the next morning, I come for the next chapel talk, and, and I, on my way in, I bump into this young guy, and he says, hey, I need to talk to you. I was like, hey, what's up, man? So, uh, you know, stand aside, talk to him, and he's telling me his story a little bit. He says, hey, yesterday when you spoke, he's like, man, like, and I'll never forget his words. He said, well, I switched to Christianity. And then he goes on, he's like, you know, I, 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 my parents aren't Christian, and I'm trying to figure this out, and maybe I need a Bible, and like, how do I commit my whole life to them and do what you were talking about? And I'm like, I'm like, hold on, you what? I switched to Christianity. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And so, you know, we finish up the conversation, pray, move on, and, and I'm like about to go in the chapel, and i like, I can't go in. I need to walk away, because there's a lot of right ways to say that right? A lot of right ways to communicate. I I became a Christian, right? I received the Lord. I got saved. I accepted Jesus in my heart. There's a lot of right ways to say that if you've been in the church for a while, but he didn't know the right way. And so as I'm processing, I'm walking away, I just start bawling, because when you say, I switch to Christianity like that, that means you experience a real thing. That's not, I'm so wrecked by this, because he experienced the joy that I got to experience so many years ago. He is entering into the joy of Jesus, and I got to participate in the joy of extending the love of Jesus to him. And I don't want you to miss out on the joy. And so are you willing to step in? And here's the question, where is your mission field? Right? Jesus said here that he sends us out to the nations, Jerusalem, Judea, end of the earth in Acts 1.8. And listen, we're at the ends of the earth. Like, you don't even need, now it's wonderful, go to Africa, go to Asia, but like the ends of the earth are right here. The ends of the earth, all you need to do to be on mission is cross the street, and you've gone to the ends of the earth. All you need to do is go to the same barista strategically every week and say, hey, what's your name? And just get to know him and love on him and pray for him, and maybe God will open up opportunity. This God who loves outsiders, where is your mission field? Are you willing to step out in faith? say, God, use me today. But I do want to warn you guys, because um, you may get excited about extending the love of Jesus. Like, I don't even know how to do this. Let's go evangelize, whatever. You can get excited about that, and it'll last for a certain amount of time. But I want to warn you that it is very easy to burn out. Um, I see this a lot. So um, I'm pastoring over at Rise and serving with those leaders. And uh, Rise is a unique church. Our mission is to rise up, saturate our city with the gospel. All these younger leaders, all of them type A, all of them ENTJ on the disc test, just driven and logical. Like, like, let's take things over and draw a map and let's go. We're going to change the city. And that sounds really cool on one level. You're like, oh, that's awesome. Like, go, go you guys. You guys go get it. But here's the problem with that. I'm like scheduling people every week on PCO. I'm like, you need to be here, be on time. And people work really, really hard. And, and they seek to extend the love of Jesus. And then they, they, every once in a while I'll have a conversation where people sit down with me like, I'm burning out. Like I'm wearing, like it's hard. I'm, I'm ministering to these youth kids. I'm ministering to the young adults. I'm reaching out. I'm, I'm leading a, a group and I'm leading Bible studies. And like I am feeling exhausted because it's draining. I hear all their problems and it wears on me over time. And I'm burning out. And so I've thought thoroughly about this idea of burnout. Like, where does burnout come from? Is it busyness? The more I think about it, the more I think burnout is not caused by too much to do. Burnout is not caused by busyness. But burnout is caused by a lack of fuel. 
there is a lack of fuel for the fire. And so how do we avoid burnout? Here's what I believe. You will have the motivation. You will have the ability to sustain. You will have the ability to, to work hard in extending the love of Jesus when you experience the love of Jesus inwardly. Like you and I, we need to experience the love of Jesus. In fact, we find that here in this passage. It begins and ends the mission of God with an experience of the love of Jesus. Just look back at verse 17. It began with what? And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And then scrolling down to verse 20, what does it say there? He says, teach all these people to observe all that I've commanded. Just a lot of work. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. You're like, Jesus, you're sending us on a mission to go flip the world upside down. Like, what, what are you going to give us for our mission, Lord? Like, are you going to give us Tim Keller's church planning book? Are you going to give us, like, some tracts to hand out? Like, how are you equipping us, Lord Jesus? Like, what are you sending us out with to sheep among wolves? Like, what are we going to do here? Do we need weapons just in case there's persecution? Do we get a sword? Like, how does this work, Jesus? And what does Jesus equip them with? He says, oh, I'll give you all you need right here. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, we need a theology of with. I think that the most important word in this last sentence is with. with. It's a preposition, but it is an important preposition, isn't it? That God is with. Uh, at the beginning of Matthew we learn that Jesus is what? God with us. It's this withness that we need. And then here at the end of Matthew, he bookends it with what? I will be with you always to the end of the age. What do we need to extend the love of Jesus? An experience of the love of Jesus through the presence of Jesus with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we have the Holy Spirit, if we just sit, man, if you open your Bible and just in the morning before you go to the office, five minutes of just, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. And the experience of the everyday Christian life, the basic habits of just in the middle of the night when you're exhausted and your kids are going, you know, waking up and screaming and bloody murder and you just, you just say in the quiet of your heart, Lord, would you be with me? Would you help me raise up a godly heritage? Would you be with me in this moment as I'm exhausted and thank you for your love? It is there that we find the fuel to be on mission. Um, I have three kids. The oldest one is uh, Ollie. He's like my doppelganger. He's exactly like me. He's intense. He's wild. He breaks things. I like duplicated myself in him. My second son is named Remy and he is uh, one and a half. And he's just a sweet, tender, like, cuddly bear. And he says, Daddy, just hold me, you know. And then we had our daughter, Capri, just two months ago. And she is the treasure, man. There's no getting wrecked like being girl dad wrecked. You just, you just like, like the old boys, I'm like, man, you guys are Duke and Brutus. Get back here, you demons. I'm like, this is the precious angel. <laughs> Look at her. She's perfect. Back. I don't even love you guys anymore, you know. When you have a daughter, man. And so she's this cute, wonderful, this squishy little thing. I'm like, oh, you know. And she's got all the, like, chunky rolls and everything. And she cries. People ask, like, how you doing? I'm like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> like, you're supposed to say I'm great. No, I'm exhausted. I have a, you know, two-month-old. I'm exhausted. I don't sleep anymore. Just drink a lot of coffee. Um, but I'm sitting here, and I'm, I'm, I love my daughter. 
and she screams. But the one thing that works is if you have this little chair, okay? I don't know if you've seen these little circle chairs that kind of sink in. And when you put the screaming girl in there, you're like, boom. She is chilling like a villain all of a sudden. She's just like, there, there could be no problems in the world. She's like, what's up? Like cigar, just mob boss in this chair. She has no problem, just nothing, perfect, angel. In fact, she doesn't even move like a catatonic state, just, you know, like doesn't. And I'm like, whoa, like you're all right in there. I'm like, that's cool. The one thing that can actually change that, though, is if I do this. She's chilling. I get in front of her, kind of lean down, make eye contact, you know. And she just locks eyes with me. She will not look away. It's the most precious thing. She just, wait, what, daddy? And she just, boom, and she's like, she's in, bro. And she's sitting here, and she'll start, she'll start dancing. She's like, hey. Daddy, she's like alive. Something comes alive in her. Something is ignited in her all of a sudden. She's like, ah, and she will not look away. And she's like, yeah. She'll start talking, put her arms up like this. She's like, dad, ooh, yeah. And you guys ever seen a baby like this? It's the cutest thing ever. Like they just want, because the, the eyes of her father, the presence of her dad, the presence of someone who loves her dearly is before her. And something in her soul is ignited because she was created for with. She has this deep long, and we all have this deep longing for with. A withness that can't actually be satisfied just in a human being's love. In fact, this is what Blaise Pascal says. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. What ignites her? What ignites us for the mission of extending the love of Jesus? It's when we experience the love of Jesus. Are you on fire for him? Have you experienced that igniting grace? Have you tasted the goodness of the Lord? Have you felt his tangible presence? Not in any kind of warm fuzzies, but just meeting him. Just knowing him, talking to him in prayer. The simple things. And that's where we find the fuel. And I know this morning, um, I'm probably not the same as Tom St. Linus. You're like, this kid is crazy. Like, why do we ever let him get up here? He's like, wild, blah, Jesus, you know. I have not had enough coffee for this guy. And I hear it a lot. My youth kids think I'm nuts, right? Young adults in our church are like, this guy, they think I'm crazy too. And that's okay. How is it that Tom Santolina has, like, raised me up, you know? Tom is this put-together, mature saint, and you're just like, man, the wisdom of Tom. When I was in his youth ministry, Tom used to do this thing where he would, like, repeat phrases, like these certain simple phrases over and over and over. And I th now looking back, I'm like, that was like a youth minister strategy because kids just don't get it. 17-year-old through the thick skull. And so you have to say it a thousand times before it actually sinks in. Like, oh, I get it now. Like time 1,025. And so he'd repeat these phrases. And there was um, one particular phrase that I've actually held on to since I was a young man. Tom used to sit down at the end of some of his teachings and get down like this and just pause and kind of look at you in the very Tom Santolina's way that he does, you know. <laughs> and he would say something like, 
only takes a few. Be like, be what? And say, you know, just a few of you, quote Wesley, light yourselves on fire. And they'll come for miles to watch you burn. And since my days in youth group, I've prayed, Lord, let me be that man. I just wonder how many of you are praying that right now. I wonder how many of us would be willing to be the few that say, Lord, let me be on fire because of an experience of your love. Let me burn so that they will come for miles to watch it because it is an experience of the love of God that makes us the kind of people who are contagious. It's when we know that mission of Jesus that is a reason even to die in a world that lacks a reason to live, that lights us on fire in such a way that you will not be able to stop the movement of Jesus in this city. Are you united for him? And can I pray for you right now? Let's pray. Lord, let this congregation be contagious. Let us see a movement of God in our time that is unparalleled by the stories in history we read. Lord Jesus, would you raise up the young and the old and the in-between? Those who have a passion for Jesus. Those who are moved by the grace of God. Those who see those scars in your hands as we read the scriptures. And we are wrecked by them, Lord. Lord, would you stir up gospel fruitfulness here. A desire then to take this burning love we have for you out to the nations. Out to our neighborhoods, Lord Jesus. Lord, we are not worthy. But I thank you, God, that you are a God who uses the willing and not the worthy. Lord, we ask that you would stir this up in this congregation today. And we seek your face right now in Jesus' name. Amen.